Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. It's June 2020, and we're still in COVID-19 quarantine, so we join each other via Zoom to bring you another lockdown listener request. Our mysterious listener, Mark, writes... I haven't suggested a story in a while, but I've been enjoying each episode as always. Now I'd like to recommend an episode of Escape called Border Town. The episode has a good plot with a couple of nice twists. Best of all, it features both Jack Webb and William Conrad. Paul Freese appears in a smaller role. I think you'd enjoy it. Escape was an anthology series from CBS designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. No locale was too exotic. No adventure too dangerous, no escape too narrow. From its debut in 1947 to its final broadcast in 1954, Escape produced more than 230 episodes, most of which still exist today. Border Town was written by husband and wife writing team John and Gwen Bagney. The couple wrote for some of the Golden Age's most distinguished radio programs, including Suspense and Nightbeat. After transitioning to television, they won the Screenwriter Guild's first ever Best Teleplay Award for an episode of four-star playhouse called The Last Voyage. John died in 1954 from a heart attack, but Gwen continued writing for television through the 1980s. Her credits read like a history of mid-20th century television. Lassie, Leave it to Beaver, Rawhide, My Three Sons, Love American Style, The Brady Bunch, Wonder Woman, and Eight is Enough. That's just to name a few. As Mark mentioned, Border Town stars Jack Webb and William Conrad. In addition to Paul Fries as the announcer, the story also features Escape regulars Ben Wright and Jeanette Nolan. And now let's listen to Border Town from Escape. First broadcast, December 13th, 1949. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music and listen to the voices. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. It all started on the bus just outside of Dallas. The sailor who had snored beside me since Memphis got off and the big fat guy got on. He overflowed into my half of the seat, and for sound effect, he ate one apple after another. He must have bought him by the sack. Hey, fella, do you mind? Mm-hmm. My top coat? Oh. I'd like to have it pressed, but I prefer a tailor to do it. Mm. Yeah. I pulled the coat out from under him. He'd smashed my carton of cigarettes almost flat. From then on, I held the coat in my lap. In my mind, he was symbolic of everything connected with this trip and with my life. Second rate, middle class, mediocre. I was on my way to Hollywood. Yeah, I'm an actor. 
under personal contract to Henry Slafta, a big director. Oh, it sounds impressive, but it isn't. It's one of those insignificant stock contracts with short options and shorter dough. I should have turned it down, but I was flat broke, on my heels. That's why, when I found the money, I did what I did. Okay, folks, we're stopping here for 15 minutes. Another stop, chance to stretch. Well, I had a cup of coffee and a spud nut in the depot, and I was starting back to the bus when I saw him, my apple-chewing friend. Two men with cop written all over him were leading him out of the bus. It was a pinch. I wondered why they'd picked him up. I really didn't care why they took him as long as he didn't come back. Now I had the seat to myself. But he'd done me a final courtesy. He'd knocked my top coat onto the floor and walked on it. Okay, everybody on. Let's go. From then on into El Paso, he was the topic of conversation. He didn't look like a criminal to me. My dear, didn't you hear what the bus driver said? The man's a counterfeiter, one of the smartest ones in the country. The police have been after him for ages. A counterfeiter? How exciting. I must get off at El Paso and send a postcard back to Madge. Won't she be thrilled for me? Counterfeiter. Well, that's the last thing I would have pegged him for. El Paso! El Paso. And Hollywood's still 24 long hours away. Well, economy or no economy, I wasn't going to go on. I was dead tired, saddle sore from three days and nights on that bus... So I switched my ticket to the following day and I hunted up a cheap hotel. The bellhop there was full of helpful ideas on how I could spend the evening. Well, uh, how about Juarez, mister? Juarez, huh? Yeah, old Mexico, just across the International Bridge. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten that this is a border town. No, no thanks. I just want to get some sleep. Sure, mister. It's up to you. I tipped the kid and stretched out on the bed. I dug in my pocket for a cigarette, but I was out, so... I reached into my top coat for the carton. That's when I found it. The package of money. A lot of money. All in fifties and hundreds. Nice, clean, fresh bills. I counted them fast. $15,000 worth. So that's why I found my coat on the floor of the bus. Fatso had stashed his homemade money in my pocket. Why, the lousy... I'd fix his wagon, planning it on me. Operator, give me the FB... Uh... No. No, never mind. Wait a minute. Why should I? If I turned it in, I might get involved, and I couldn't afford to. When I got to Hollywood, I'd... Hollywood. Boy, what an entrance I could make into that town if all this dough were only real. I could just picture the look on Henry Slafter's face if I flew into Hollywood with a new wardrobe, stopped at the ambassador, took a suite, made a big splash. Yeah... If only the dough were real. Well, I couldn't sleep now. I was too stirred up, so I took a shower and changed my clothes and went out. I didn't have anything particular in mind, but since the hotel was near the International Bridge, I went over into Juarez, and I wasn't quite sure why I did it, but in my pocket was one of the $50 bills. I went up and down the cheap main drag, sampling tequila and brushing off vendors of hirachis and leather dolls just like the rest of the tourists. But all the time, that $50 bill was burning a hole in my pocket. (laughs) 
was in a small bar, a crummy place called El Serape, that I finally took a chance. I'd had a couple of tequila daisies, and each time I'd given the waiter a half a buck. This time I handed him the $50 bill. I held my breath. And suddenly, I knew I'd been a fool. He didn't put it in the cash registers, he had the other money. Instead, he went down to the end of the bar and handed it to a man sitting there, obviously an American. He took it, looked at it, and then had the waiter point me out. I got up out of the booth and started for the street, but the American caught me at the door. I'm uh, Chuck Rice. I'm the manager. Yeah. Hiya. You give this $50 bill to the waiter? Uh, oh, yeah. I guess I forgot to wait for my change, huh? You don't want to go around forgetting money like this. Just visit? Yeah, tourist. You know you're taking a big chance. You're setting yourself up like a pigeon. Well, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, don't get excited, amigo. This is border town. That's all. The wrong people might get the idea that you're carrying more bills like this. Yeah, well, I'm not. Yeah, sure, sure. But if you were, I, uh, I could put you in touch with most anything. Maybe a little gambling. We could fix you up with a little game. Uh-uh. Anything you want to buy, I can get it for you. No, I don't want to buy anything. But, uh, suppose I wanted to sell something. Sell? Huh? Uh-huh. Uh, that's a little tough. I'd, uh, I'd have to see a sample. You got it, mister, right there in your hand. I was taking a crazy chance, but I've kicked around Broadway long enough to know a contact man when I run into one, and Chuck Rice was definitely shady. He stood there scowling, turning the bill over and over in his hand. Oh, so that's why you wanted to walk out on your change, huh? Thought I had it spotted. You, uh, you got more like this? Yeah. On you? No, I'm not that much of a pigeon. How much more? Enough. And you want to dump it? Maybe, with the right kind of a deal. Uh-uh. Here's your 50 back. I don't know from nothing about this kind of commodity. Well, I didn't pay for the drinks. All right, it's in the house. Your money's no good here. I took the 50 and put it in my pocket. I shrugged and hoped my indifference went over. I was almost to the street when he called after me. Hey, amigo. Huh? I, uh, was just wondering. How much you got? Why? Well, if you got enough, maybe Nieves would be interested. Nieves? Who's Nieves? Down here, we don't ask questions like that. You go to the cab stand on the corner. Ask for Miguel. Tell him you want to see Nieves. Tell him Chuck Rice sent you. Only this time, amigo, if you want to do business, you better have the dough on you. Miguel. Hey, I'm talking to you. What's the idea? You keep going around in circles. Can't sabe, senor. Can't sabe my foot. I want to go to Nieves. Si, senor. Si, Nieves. Well, let's get going. Never mind the sightseeing. Miguel was driving down dark back alleys and dirt roads. I couldn't tell which direction we were going, and I'm sure that was the idea. But we were getting further and further out of town. I was beginning to wish I didn't have the money on me. But I hadn't gone back to the hotel for it when Miguel suddenly pulled off the road into a ruddy gopher-hole courtyard of a broken-down hacienda. It was littered with debris. I stumbled over a peg. His squeals woke a bunch of chickens roosting on a fence. And then I saw her. She was lying in a canvas hammock, one bare foot hanging over the side, deep in the enjoyment of an oversized cigarette. She seemed to sleep, except for the rhythmic puffs of smoke. She never opened her eyes all the time I was there. Nieves? 
Chuck Rice sent me. He thought we might be able to work out a deal. I got some money. I want to sell it. Chuck Rice said that you might handle it. You hear me? I got $15,000 American in 50s and 100s. How much you want? Well, what'll you give me? How much? Well, I figure 5000 would be fair. No touch. What? If that's all you want, I no touch. Why? Too hot. Well, if you think it's worth more... No touch. Okay, no touch. Come on, Miguel. Si, senor. Senor. Yeah. O'Toole. How was that? O'Toole, maybe he buy. O'Toole? Where's O'Toole? Oh, Miguel, no. Si, senor. Come, I will take you. Well, your English is improving, Miguel. Maybe your sense of direction will improve, too. And it did. As the crow flies, so did we, straight to O'Toole's Dine and Dance, a gaudy tourist trap hypoed on the outside with neon signs advertising the best food and music in Juarez. While inside, five Latin beboppers were making hash out of Embraceable You. Miguel okayed me to a squint-eyed character who reluctantly led me down a hall, up a steep flight of stairs, and we stopped in front of a door. Behind a huge red lacquered desk sat a handsome Chinese in a dinner jacket smoking a long black cigar. Ah, good evening. What can I do for you? A drink, perhaps? No, no thanks. I came to see O'Toole. Yes, I am O'Toole. You, O'Toole? As one of those clicks of nature. I wear my mother's face and my father's name. Oh, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean anything. Well, think nothing of it, Mr. Smith? Yeah, Smith. Now, you have something you wish to sell? That's right. May I see the money? Money? How did you know? $15,000, as I understand it. How much do you want for it? Uh, 6000 You told Nevers. Five. Nevers? Oh, you're surprised. I know about that, huh? Chuck Rice always sends them out to the country to see Nievas before they come to me. Now, let me see the money. All of it. Sure. Here. Look, I'll, I'll take the five. I'll give you four. Oh, now, wait a minute. There's 15,000 there. You won't have any trouble passing it in Mexico. I know that. I also know that when this kind of money turns up in this part of the world... It means only one thing. I am your last resort. Well, Mr. Smith? Yeah. Give me the 4000 He went to the safe, got the money, and paid me. I got out of his office. Well, maybe I should have held out for more, but he gave me the creeps. Besides, any way you look at it, 4000 is a lot of money. I could knock Henry Slapped's eyes out with less than that. Downstairs in the club, the floor show was on. When Adagio team was going through its calisthenics, I was just passing the bar when she bumped into me. 
hello, Charlie. No, I'm not Charlie. Oh, sure, you're Charlie. You gotta be Charlie. Go on, beat it. Ah, oh, come on. Don't be a sucker. We're being watched. Well, so what am I supposed to do? Be smart. Buy me a drink. Look, I told you, I'm not interested. Interested in getting out of here alive? What kind of a crack is that? You see Squint Eyes over there by the entrance? Well, he's not the doorman. Come on, look. What's this all about? Oh, too. He wants back whatever it is he gave you. I'll buy you that drink. Come on. Make it scotch. Yeah. Uh, bartender, two scotch and sodas. All right. Now tell me why you're interested. I'm supposed to knock you out. Your what? Those two drinks you just ordered. Yours will be loaded. And not with romoquinone to cure your cold. Ever hear a knockout drops, tourist? Yeah, sure, but I don't get it. What are you telling me for? I don't know. Maybe because you're from my side of the border. Maybe because you don't look like the kind of scum that usually comes in this joint. All right. So my drink's going to be loaded, and Squint Eyes is over to the front door to make sure I don't get away. I don't have much choice, do I? Yeah, you do. I'm going to help you. Help me? After the drink hits you, I'm supposed to get you out the back door into the alley and then roll you. Well, now, that'll be a big help. But I'm not going to. Quiet. Here come the drinks. All right, what do I do now? When I reach around you for the ashtray, they won't be able to see you. Switch the drinks. You drink mine. Yeah, but how about you? They don't you? expect me to drink it. Yeah, but you... Now, you... switch them. Get it down. Drink it. In a minute, pretend you're dizzy. I'll help you get to the alley. And when you get there, you better run, brother. And run fast. Squint Eyes had left the door and was coming toward the bar, so I did what she told me. After I'd gulped the drink down, I sat on the stool a couple of minutes and I pretended to get dizzy. She helped me off the stool, put my arm around her shoulder. We were almost to the door, almost to the alley. It was just perfect, except for one thing. I was dizzy. My stomach turned over and over and I passed out cold. In just a moment, we will continue with Escape. But first, a lot's been said about the Sunday night entertainment on CBS, and rightly so. But take a look down the CBS listings during the entire week, and you'll find there's no let-up in the parade of all-star shows. Tomorrow, Wednesday night, and every Wednesday night, Bing Crosby, Groucho Marx, Burns and Allen, and Gene Hirschholt as the beloved Dr. Christian are heard on most of these same CBS stations. Dick Hames and the Andrews sisters, Jack Smith and Dinah Shore are also on hand in their early evening quarter-hour programs. Make a habit of listening to CBS all through the week. And now we return you to the second act of... Escape! The smells were the same. Beer, tequila, stale black tobacco. But the sound had changed... There'd been music before. My stomach burned and my head throbbed and somebody was lying across me. I raised up, tried to focus my eyes, but I couldn't. Gradually, I placed the sound. It was some kind of a car, a bus, no, a truck. I was lying on the floor in the back of a truck and there was a man lying across me. From the stench of him, he must have been drunk for a week, but from the inert way he lay, he could have been dead. I pushed him off and shook him. Hey, hey. Where are we going? What is this? 
Hey, hey, come on, wake up, will you? Listen to me. Then I suddenly remembered the money. The $4,000, it was gone. I was clean, broke. I'd been rolled all right, and by a dame who even told me before she did it. Then I saw the rest of them. The truck was a big van, and it was loaded, packed with the dregs of border town, a sodden human cargo. All of them filthy, bleary-eyed. But one of them looked awake and reasonably sober. Hey, you, you over there. You speak English? Uh, si, senor. Well, what happened? What are we doing here? Oh, we all fall drunk, senor. Oh, it's no good to fall drunk. Oh, you go to Hensler's. Hensler's? Si. What are you talking about? Oh, caray. No es bueno. Oh, I have been there before. I should know not to fall drunk. Oh, one whole month I have been there. Ese lugar es muy feo. You've been where before? Where are they taking us? Tell me. To Hensler's. Oh, he's a very bad man. Hensler's? Well, who's Hensler? Oh, you're going to see, senor. You'll see. That's all I could get out of him. We were going to Hensler's and it wouldn't be good. And it sounded like I was about to find out. You guys, come on, the party's over. Hey, Miller, move these crips along. Uh, you guys don't look like no bunch of daisies, but we'll make you bloom, won't we, Miller? <laughs> he was a brute of a man, and he carried a 45 in a holster. He and the driver, Miller, herded us out of the truck like so many cattle. It was some sort of a road gang. I saw a sign blocking the road that read Under Construction, Hensler Construction Company. Well, I had no idea where we were, how far away from the border. The landscape was dry, dusty, barren. Well, Gonzalez, you with us again? Didn't we learn you not to get drunk, huh? <laughs> come on, you guys, step on it. All right, quit shoving. Come on, come. Hey, what are you doing here? Yeah, that's what I'd like to know. Miller! How many times I got to tell you to be careful who you pick up? Now, wait a minute, Jake. Don't get sore before I tell you. Don't you know we can get in plenty of trouble picking up the wrong guys? I didn't pick him up. O'Toole threw him in. O'Toole? Shut up, you. What O'Toole wish him on us for? What little Hensler hears about you. Well, O'Toole has already talked with Hensler. He says this fellow will not give us any trouble. He is an embezzler. The police are looking for him. You're crazy. He came across the border to sell some money he had stolen from a bank or something. He must be plenty hot. He was willing to drop 15,000 real dough for 4,000 cash. Real dough? What are you talking about? That was counterfeit I sold O'Toole. Listen, buddy, I don't know what your racket is, but nobody fools O'Toole about money. But it can't be real money. It was counterfeit, I tell you. It had to be. Look, I, I want to see Hensler. You talk to me or you talk to nobody? But I got to see Hensler. I got to get back to Juarez. Huh? Did you hear that, Miller? He's got to get back to Juarez. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, you can't push me around. I'm an American. Oh, he's an American. Well, send this to your congressman. Ooh. Okay, American. Get on your feet. Get a pick and start working. Hensler Construction Company. Just another name for a chain gang. I never saw Hensler. He wasn't there. But in the next week, I got to know Jake, all right. I got to hate him. He drove us from dawn till dark, digging a roadbed by hand, pick and shovel, in the hot sun, in the dust, without rest. 
Worse than the physical torture was the thought that gave me no rest. I'd sold O'Toole real money. For now, I realized I'd never really had any proof that the fat man was a counterfeiter. I just jumped to that conclusion. The bus driver... No, not the bus driver. A woman on the bus said that the bus driver said it, and it it drove me crazy just thinking about it. Real money. $15,000. I'd had it in my hand, and I'd thrown it away. I had to escape. I had to. There'd been a man in the truck who said he'd been here before, so he must have gotten away somehow. He could help me. Uh, you're the man that was here before? I am Gonzalez. All right, you got away the other time, didn't you? I see. But I am back. And this time I don't try to go. Well, how did you go? How'd you get out? Well, there is a highway. There is? Where? Four mile, five mile. Many cars pass there. Just four or five miles? That's nothing. Oh, maybe it sounds nothing to you, senor. But those are bad miles to go. Oof, could I? Only four or five miles. Over that way, he told me. Through the ravine. Well, I thought about it all that day and I planned that I'd try it that night. But when we got back to camp, I was too dog tired even to eat. I just flopped on the hard earth and fell asleep. It seemed that I'd just closed my eyes when I was shaken awake. Hey. Huh? Hey. Uh. Get up, American. Get on your feet. Huh? I got a little job for you. Oh, leave me alone, Jake. I'm tired. Get up! You're on overtime. He was murderously drunk. He had a bottle of whiskey in one hand and his 45 in the other. So I got up off the ground. All around me, the men were sleeping. If they heard him, they didn't pay any attention. He marched me down to the roadbed and threw a pick at me. Hey, I start digging. But it's the middle of the night. Look, I'm dead. I gotta finish the road. Start digging, I said. What are you picking on me for, Jake? Why me? You're gonna start digging, or I start shooting? So I dug. I dug till my hands were bleeding and my lungs were scalded with the effort of breathing. He sat alongside the road, knocking off that fifth of whiskey and riding me every time I faltered. He was just mean drunk enough to kill me if I stopped. So I dug and I dug. Finally, I couldn't go on anymore. I was too tired to care. I dropped the pick and fell onto the road. My face was in the dirt. I lay there, panting, waiting for the bullet. When it didn't come, I turned my head, and what I saw gave me new life. Jake was sprawled out, dead drunk, and the forty-five had slipped from his hand onto the ground. It was my chance. I hardly had enough strength left to move, but I knew if I didn't go then, it'd be too late. I'd never get away. I crawled over to him, and I got the gun, and... Somehow, I got down the road and through that ravine, stumbled and crawled those hideous miles of the highway. And then I heard it, way down the road. It was a car. I ran out like a madman and flagged it down. Monday, you said? Give me a ride, will you? Oh, oh, you're an American, huh? Going back to the States? Yeah. Well, hop in. I leaned back against the seat, shut my eyes, and slept all the way into Juarez. Well, here you are. You said O'Toole's dying and dance. Sure I can't wait for you? No, no, thanks just the same, but I got some business to take care of. Okay, good luck. $15,000 worth of business and Jake's forty-five in my pocket to guarantee the deal. I went around to that back door and slipped in quietly and then crept down the hall and up the stairs that Squint Eyes had led me before. This time I entered O'Toole's office without knocking. Hello, O'Toole. 
Oh. I didn't expect you back so soon. Sit down. Can I get you something? Yeah, you can. Fifteen thousand bucks. I'm afraid I don't understand. We made a deal. Why didn't you tell me the money was real, not counterfeit, huh? Well, you seem to know what you were doing, and remember, you placed the value on the money. I did not. Yeah, well, I've just revalued it. I want it back, all of it. We made a deal, and I paid you, and I'm through with you. And you rolled me. How you lost the money I paid you is no concern to me. All right, then, look, then maybe this will be some concern to you. I took enough punishment to get this gun not to hesitate to use it. Now get the money while you're still alive. Huh. That won't be necessary. How about, uh, 10,000? Look, don't stall. Fifteen. But I should be allowed to realize some profit. Hurry up, O'Toole. I haven't got all day. I'll have to open the safe. Then open it. Will you take it in tens and twenties? Now, look, you, I don't care how you give it to me, so long as it's American money. Now, quit stalling and get it. I didn't trust him. I expected any minute he'd pull something fast, but he didn't. He gave it to me. I never realized before the power of a gun. It makes short men tall and tall men strong. Here you are. Thanks. Now I could fly to Hollywood and have that suite at the Ambassador and throw a cocktail party, a big party. I'd show them. First, I stopped at the best men's shop in Juarez and got myself outfitted. An imported English tweed suit, cashmere top coat, couple of dozen shirts, and I threw away my old clothes. There will be something else, senor. Uh, I'll take that alligator suitcase, too. You see, senor, but you must remember when you go through customs, you must declare the clothes you are wearing. I have to report this. Oh, sale. sure, sure, don't worry. And uh, these neckties? See, si, senor. I paid him. It was more than I'd spent on clothes in ten years. I put $500 in my wallet and stashed the rest of the money away in my suitcase. Then I went to the American Club for a good dinner. Now I was all set to make my entrance. All I needed was a plane reservation for Hollywood. I was just going through customs when he ran up. That is the man. Stop him. It was the Stop clerk from the men's shop, gesturing wildly. The customs official listened, and then he came back to me. I'm sorry, sir, but I have to detain you. What? Uh, your wallet, if you please. Oh, wait, I didn't buy the wallet from him. If you please, sir, give it to me. Okay, but it's just an American Hickok wallet, I tell you. I'm not interested in the wallet itself, sir. Now we shall see. There, you see? Did I not tell you? Look, look, all of it. What are you guys doing with my money? You admit this is your money, mister? Of course it is. Then I'm sorry you'll have to come with me. But why? Because, mister, all the money in your wallet is counterfeit. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Border Town by John and Gwen Bagney. Featured in the cast were Jack Webb as Evan, Bill Conrad as Jake, Ben Wright as O'Toole, Tony Barrett as Rice, and Jeanette Nolan as Nievis. Also heard were Ted DeCorsia, Paul Fries, B. Benaderet, Jerry Hausner, and Harry Bartell. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week. You are on a train from Rajahore to Calcutta. With you is a fabulous jewel, the most sought-after emerald in the world, in whose depths are mirrored terror and violence. And for you, there is no escape. It's a proven surefire formula for better living. If we all work together to produce more per man, per machine, per hour, we all move together toward the benefits in living that are possible only under the American economic system. The better we produce, the better we live. For your free copy of the booklet, Miracle of America, write Box 10, Times Square Station, New York. 
Stay tuned now for Hit the Jackpot, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Escape and the episode Border Town here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was a listener request as we continue our COVID-19 quarantine lockdown listener request series, which sounds vaguely like a title of a WWF ticket. <laughs> <laughs> COVID-19 lockdown listener request. In two separate cages. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark made that suggestion of escape and border town. And thank you so much, Mark, for listening and suggesting that. As always, a lot to talk about. I, I think I just need to get this out there so that we know where we're heading. Wow, I really enjoyed this. A lot. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to be shocked to find at the end of this conversation that you two have convinced me of some kind of issue or something with it that's not great because I couldn't find anything I didn't love about it. Now I'm torn between my real opinion and just challenging you pointlessly. (laughs) (laughs) My feelings about it are indicative of something wrong with me as far as long-term relationships go. As every time I go back to Escape, I think, is this the one that ruins it? Is this going to be the one that spoils my love of Escape? Nope, not this one. (laughs) Yeah. It's the second story in a row now for our podcast featuring down-on-their-luck theatrical types. Yes, I was going to bring that up. I think, honestly, for me, the best part of this entire script, and there's a lot of great stuff in this script, though, is Jack Webb's sheepish delivery of the line, yeah, I'm an actor. (laughs) (laughs) There is so much regret and shame packed into those four words when he delivers. (laughs) And he's traveling on a bus, and that's what he's ashamed of. That's what he feels bad about. Tim, that's your life every day. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'll sell you $15,000 for four. (laughs) (laughs) When this uh, episode opens up and he says that line, you know, an actor, I just wrote the note. Well, you're an actor, so you're already unlikable. Good job. But uh, the irony of me writing that is as this episode went on and as this story went on, wow, do you really end up rooting for him? It is gut-wrenching. By the end, with two minutes left in this, you are thinking, please, dear God, there's only two minutes left. 40 seconds of that has to be the ending in the uh, commercial. Are we to the barn? Did he make it? Does he just give him the money? God, just give him the money and let him have it. Nope. Nope. All right. This is excellent because we agree this is a great episode, but we totally disagree about why. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's brilliant because he's a completely dislikable protagonist he is the epitome of a shallow reaching american and i think from the authorial point of view he is called on it again and again i think particularly in the line by jake when he goes oh so you're american tell this to your congressman punch right (laughs) he's a rube he is so out of his depth in fact this reminded me a little of the dark wall and that it certainly runs on an engine of stereotypes uh, by today's standards. I'm not going to suggest otherwise. However, it is the American who is out of his depth 
who thinks he knows everything and doesn't. And everyone around him is smarter and knows better than him. Everything you said is absolutely true. And I guess I didn't find him likable. I think now that if I really analyze what's going on, I just really also want $15,000 handed to me. (laughs) And it would be really nice to come back to your coat and find $15,000 in it. Because that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to find a bag of money on the street. So could it just happen to this guy? Well, before we get Tim's two cents on this, let me just walk back my comments a little in that I do think the script is also designed to put you in his place. That's why I think it is so complex. And it is aware of the fact that in Escape, usually you are 100% rooting for the protagonist. This felt more like a suspense script, which often puts you in the shoes of the criminal. Escape doesn't do that very often. That's exactly right. I felt like I was him, and I think that's where it came from. But there's a point at which like, he overreaches, like, I'm just going to take this money. And you sort of sympathize, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I might just take that money. And it's once he steps way out of his depth that you really start to sympathize of, I have stepped way out of my depth. I know what it is to be the idiot in the room at all the time. And and they just sent him on a tour around, like, Let's show him this idiot. Now let's send him over here and show them this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> idiot tour. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've gone to Mexico and thought I knew everything. <laughs> I've done that so many wow. times. Sometimes I went to St. Paul. Oh, right. <laughs> what do you mean the streets aren't alphabetical? <laughs> Every time I go to St. Paul, the first thing I say is, but I'm an American. (laughs) There's nothing to help me. Our streets over here are alphabetical and laid out in a grid pattern. What are you doing? This is all inside Minnesota jokes. This is doing nothing for 90% of our listeners. (laughs) But 10% love us. <laughs> well, five percent. The five percent in St. Paul. Hey, <laughs> I don't even count people who live in St. Paul, so they're not even in the percentage. <laughs> I love not only the narration and the first-person point of view account of the recollection of what happened to him, but how it was written. The actual words to the page, not only performed brilliantly by Webb which is important, you know, you can have great words, but they, you know, how are they stated? And I think that performance is fantastic, which I'll talk about later, but the words themselves, I just think are beautiful. I thought it was really well-written. Oh yeah. There are great lines of dialogue. It's really taught. It has a little bit of the tough guy quality, but it's never overdone. It walks that line between hard boiled and naturalistic, but you have great narration lines like five Latin beboppers were making a hash of embraceable you. And just with one line, you know exactly where you are. I mean, it's great that the sound supported. It's great that you have excellent actors, but if a script can do as much work as possible, everything else becomes icing on the cake. And I think that's the situation here because you have some of the great radio actors of the golden age in this show. I will Uh, tell you my single favorite of these great radio actors and the roles they played in this was Jeanette Nolan playing gangster in a hammock. Yeah. (laughs) And that scene was brilliant because Jack Webb sounds like such a naive idiot when he's trying to make a deal uh, with this woman in a hammock smoking a cigarette and caring nothing about him. You can hear him trying in his head. This is a great performance moment to come up with the number he wants. 
like he hasn't even thought out his pitch before he got there. And I think that's the moment where I go, oh, this guy is doomed. Yep. <laughs> what I love about this also with Jack Webb is to see Jack Webb as a hapless, sad sack, yet you can still hear Jack Webb. How mm -hmm. that Jack Webb style is flexible enough to be hard-nosed, hard-boiled, smart, competent, yet that same kind of performance style, which is very similar, is also very easily adaptable to the character that we've been discussing. And I found that fascinating, that it was so easily transferable. Did you guys predict that the money was real? Slash, did you predict the second round of money was fake? I did not predict that the money was real the first time, but I knew that they couldn't do it. They couldn't just let him go. So then I went to Hollywood and it was awesome. Thank you for listening to Escape. I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. So, yeah, you know that something's coming because there's a happy ending and it just doesn't make any sense to end there. Yeah, because he starts to get too full of himself. Obviously, that moment when he's holding the gun on O'Toole and he's like, oh, I love the power of a gun. Makes a short man tall and a tall man strong or whatever the line was. And, you you know, like he's overreaching. Ooh, alligator bag. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> too close to the sun with your alligator bag, Icarus. <laughs> You're going down. Another thing that I really love about that plot point of gangster in a hammock. <laughs> I think it's new from Whammo. Gangster in a hammock. <laughs> I was thinking Morrissey song. <laughs> oh, gangster in a hammock. Whammo or Morrissey song would be a really funny <laughs> game to play. I want to look up Whammo products now and see how many of them sound like Morrissey song. Hang the DJ from Whammo. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that I love is that that gangster in a hammock's sole purpose in life is to have people sent to her to say no, just garner information and pass it along like a vetting process. I really found that a cool plot point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really original scene. And I think they leave it open to interpretation because I think your interpretation of it is totally legit. There's a whole nother interpretation of it that she just isn't going to mess with this guy. He's too much of a wild card and she just is too smart to deal with it. Because even yeah. though O'Toole gets the best of him, he still ends up causing O'Toole problems. He still comes back to him, puts a gun in his face. So she's smart enough to know that Evan is not worth the problem. I see what you're saying, but it works better in my head that she just gets paid to ask a few questions, get some information, and then say, you know what? I'm not interested. P pass it along to this guy so he gets an advantage in negotiations. If I might just be... That's really smart. Not only do you get that information, but you also make him feel like you're losing your chances to make the deal. So you better, better get desperate. Yeah, that too. Like, uh, this is the second round. Someone already said no. You know, I'll take anything at this point. So that's what makes sense to me. I think that makes perfect sense. I think I maybe just so love the idea of a female crime lord who's so above everyone else that she'd just rather sit in her hammock <laughs> and let them shoot at each other and punch each other and steal the money back and forth. I, the, another interesting plot point to this is that layer where they not only roll them, but they put him in a camp, a labor camp uh, for a construction company. Like, he got his money and you got it all back. I mean, it's just like, wow, why are you so mad at him? If he walked out the door, you would have made an $11,000 profit. Yes, there's that too. And yet you're like, no, I'm getting all 15 and you're going to go to a camp. I know that that seems like a plot hole, but to me, it's just a layer of 
horrifying. He's in over his head. And I think yeah. that's what it's proving. I think it goes back to the fact that he is an American in their town trying to take advantage of this money that fell in his lap. And they're all criminals to survive in this border town. And he thinks he can just waltz in and walk away with some money. So I do think it's personal. It goes back to that comment by Jake in the construction company of just tormenting him about being an American. Jake in the construction company is Detective Luger from Barney Miller. <laughs> it's not really, but listen to that voice. He sounds like, <laughs> hey, Barney, hey, I want to tell you a story about the old days. That's not an actual quote from Barney Miller. But if you know who that is, you're like, yes, Eric, that is right on. And if you don't know who that is, like, shut up, Eric, you're super old. And why are you referring a show called Barney Miller that I've never oh, heard no. of? Oh, I, I will do a Barney Miller podcast. I'm up for it. <laughs> Ooh. Let's do that. I also liked the, the idea that if he had escaped from this camp and left O'Toole alone and just went back across the border, he would be, except for a really awful experience, exactly where he was when he left. Broken even. Yep. Nope. He's greedy. He realizes it's real money and he goes back with a gun to get it. That's and at that point that I would have just gone home. There's a moment too where... O'Toole gives him a hint of what's going on uh, when he's giving him that money. Because at the top, when the actor finds the money, he says it's in 50s and 100s. And O'Toole, when he's handing it out, says he basically like a cashier today, do you mind 10s and 20s? Um, so it is not the same money back. And that's like the really clear hint in the script that he's up to something. So it has nothing to do with anything, but just a really interesting thing that I noticed. The band in the bar, when the girl he bumps into that ends up rolling him that and he's buying her a drink did you hear what the band was playing i missed it i did as well the song that the band was playing was swan lake and then it kicks in a little at the end and has a big finish and everybody claps and i was like wow so i was trying to figure out if there was any connection between what was going <laughs> on and why they're choosing yeah. swan lake the public domain music of the time yeah I, <laughs> My guess is that it was just, that'll work. But of course, I was trying to yeah. unlayer a huge onion, you know. I'm like, sure they're like, they'll be trying to figure this out for 70 years. Let's put someone <laughs> like in there. <laughs> just go to the band. Is there any song you guys all know? Swan Lake. <laughs> I love the guy in the back. Swan Lake. Yeah, yeah, Swan Lake. This story has the potential, by the way, to be a full-on movie. There are so many things that are cut for time that could be so interesting and fascinating. I'm not ripping it for it. You, you have 30 minutes, but just the journey through the ravine, the five mile journey <laughs> would be a 20 minutes of phenomenal storytelling of how that tired and that broken and how he did it. Uh, but you know, they just jumped to him getting the ride because they have to, something's got to go. But well, that also would be really fun to watch. Also, this whole episode is just a string of his failures. I don't think they wanted any scene that suggests he has any strength. He's duped by everyone. And even when he escapes, he doesn't escape from the chain gang because of anything he does. His keeper gets so drunk, he passes out. And it's just dumb luck. Yeah, and but he, he only notices when he's too tired to keep working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he gets a break finds an american he's gonna take him home gets you're in a car like tim said and here's your opportunity you have been given a chance and he didn't do it 
Although, come on, give the guy $15,000. My God, he's an actor. He's never going to book that Folgers commercial gig. You're never going to get the national spot. Not everybody can be flow from progressive and hit the jackpot. <laughs> but it is interesting because John Bagneed was an actor before he became a writer. So I'm wondering if some of this was autobiographical because at the top, the narrator says, I'm an actor. That's why when I found the money, I did what I did. His entire motivation for this criminal enterprise is, I'm an actor, so you'll understand all the stupid things I did next. <laughs> That's totally true. I, it never really dropped for me. Of like, I need this $15,000 so I can become an actor. Well, not <laughs> only that, he's not even thinking of the $15,000, like, great, I can support myself, and I don't have to worry about booking gigs as much, and, or even like, I'm going to open up a little theater. He doesn't do any of that. He wants the money to rub his agent's face in it. Like, look at my nice suit. Ha ha ha. I'm staying at a fancy hotel. Ha ha. Take that. What? That's ridiculous. Which, you're right, Joshua. I hate him now. I hate him. <laughs> I wonder if but there's I some sort of reality show premise in, we're going to take you into Mexico and give you $15,000 and see how far you can get and still keep that $15,000. <laughs> Actually, Tim, that was a show. It was coming up next called Hit the Jackpot. <laughs> At the end of the show, the next show is called Hit the Jackpot, which I thought was really ironic. And it's <laughs> Jack Webb. <laughs> right. I think it should have been, you're going to be given 15000 might be counterfeit. Now you're in Mexico. Go! <laughs> Tune in next week for Leave It on the Floor. <laughs> <laughs> Any other last thoughts, gentlemen? I love this because it is exactly what I love about Escape, of that beat by beat, I don't know what's going to happen next. With like Your best guess is like, this is probably going to get worse every second that it's happening. And it's usually a pretty good guess. And it gets worse in exciting, interesting ways, though, that still yes. surprise you. It's a yeah. perfect mix of meeting expectations while also subverting them. And there's that sweet spot that Escape is really good at hitting. That's exactly right. Uh, let's send this to the vote. I'll start this week. You ready? It's been a long, long time since I've been able to do this in our podcast, and I'm really excited. This is a classic. It is top to bottom, well-written, well-produced, well-performed, well-told. I love everything about this. It's been a long time that I've enjoyed one of our podcast episodes as thoroughly. I have to go back to On a Country Road or The Long Night and, and there's others, of course. But I think it's been a while since I've gone there. You didn't disappoint me once. So been in, in the environment of like this has some maybe dicey racial stereotypes. It's got some, maybe some dicey dialects. But even then, like O'Toole's got an interesting story to him even if he plays a little bit into the insidious Asian sort of stereotype, like he's an interesting character and you, you don't just get the two-dimensional painting of a stereotypical character. Right. Very interesting. And we even get this one moment where uh, the actor is awkwardly forced to apologize for making racist assumptions about his name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And the, I mean, the only thing that would hold me back from saying this is a classic is that there are so many other episodes of Escape that are like, that's a classic. Sometimes these series get graded on a very steep curve, and Escape is definitely one of those. I loved it to bits. My, my love for Escape has been renewed every time I listen to an episode. 
one of the reasons I think this is a classic, and initially I was like, mm, close, but not quite. But on my second listen, it is just very complex, but in a non-flashy way. And it rewards repeated listening, which I think is a one of my criteria for a classic. Is everything great about it used up on the first listen? Then probably not a classic. At this one, I think I could listen to it again and find more little details uh, that I missed. Um, I could solve the Swan Lake riddle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the next thing i'm gonna write the riddle of swan lake riddle of the swinks yeah and I, I i just think the complex portrayal of a protagonist who's shallow and awful but you are forced by great performances and great writing to put yourself in his shoes and feel some sort of empathy and some disgust for him at the same time. And the cast is a classic. Yeah. The cast is just all-star phenomenal group of people. Truly well done. Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com to hear us say other things about other radio episodes. It's the home of this podcast. You'll find 170 plus. Who knows when you're listening to this? Maybe it's 300. There's a lot of episodes there. You can also find links to our social media pages. You can comment on episodes. You can send us messages. If there's an episode you'd like us to listen to, you can send us a message and we will listen to it eventually. You can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really appreciate that. Uh, it helps us a lot. We are actors. And as you just discovered, <laughs> we are desperate and prone to criminality. So <laughs> keep us on the straight and narrow and give us money. One of the bonuses you will receive if you give us money is you will have access to our current Park Square Zoom shows. Tell us about that, Eric. Well, that's exactly right, Mr. Scrimshaw. Uh, ParkSquareTheater.org is where you go to find out our schedule of our live shows that you can buy tickets to anywhere in the world. What we do now is we've been writing original scripts and then producing them and recording them and editing them. And then you buy a ticket and you join us on the night and we join you live, and we, like old times, gather around a computer, and your whole family can listen to these radio shows. So once again, go to parksquaretheater.org, and you can get your tickets, which we've reduced the price of drastically, so we can get as many people in to listen to these shows with us as possible. And once again, we'll join you live. What's coming up next, sir? Next, we have another listener request. Surprise! It is the Deadly Hour from CBS Radio Mystery Theater. Until then... Look out! You guys don't look like no bunch of daisies, but we'll make you bloom on women. 